0: welcome to the edges of lean i'm bella engelbach and in this podcast we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking unusual places where lean thinking is practiced we meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles so come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean Episode 53 Continuously Improving Your Great Presentations with Brendan Kumar Sarami. Do you hate standing up and presenting? Brendan Kumar Sarami has your back. He's the founder of MasterTalk, where he coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators, whatever their industry is. He has a popular YouTube channel called MasterTalk, and he is here today to help us understand how to be better, more comfortable, more exciting presenters. Brendan Kumar Sami, welcome to the edges of Lean.
1: Ella, such a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you. Brendan, tell us about yourself and uh, what is it that you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a public speaking coach for executives and entrepreneurs so that they become the top 1% communicator in their industries. And I also have a YouTube channel called Master Talk, where I share a lot of free videos on how to speak.
0: Great. And so, how did you get into that?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Bill. So when I was in university, I went to business school, and I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing rugby or basketball or baseball, clearly sports that aren't in my lane, I did the nerd version of that, which was presentations. And that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, Bill, I started coaching people who were younger than me, mostly for free back then, just helping those young mm-hmm. students do well at those competitions. And that's when I had the idea for MasterTalk because I realized that all of the information I was sharing with them wasn't available online for free on the internet. So I started working as a management consultant at IBM post-grad. And while I was working there, I started making YouTube videos in my basement. And then one thing led to another and here we are today. Oh, that's so,
0: that's so cool. So you, you also worked in management consulting and I'm sure you had the opportunity in that role, to see a lot of varieties of kinds of, of ways that people presented. So, did that also um, play into uh, your your whole um, methodology?
1: Oh, absolutely, Bella. Because to your point, when when I was applying a lot of the presentation skills in university, it's definitely a different ballgame when you're in corporate and you're presenting different stakeholders like executives, clients, customers, and even steering committees. So you're always changing the languaging, the way that you're presenting ideas. So it's definitely developed my thinking for sure.
0: I've got to tell you, the first time that I had to do a presentation um, in front of a big group of people, I remember being so terrified. And the problem that happened when I was that terrified. Well, there were two things that happened. The first was that I lost all sense of time. I had no idea how long I I had been talking and I had no idea whether I was pacing my speech appropriately. I just couldn't feel time anymore. And the second was that I got out of breath. So what was happening to me? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm like diagnosing this yeah you know what I would say Bella is the fear of communication is something that is very normal you know a lot of us are afraid of communication but there's a couple of things I want to point out the first one is we don't really know why we're scared of communication so let me address that really quickly the reason really simple we learned it the wrong way think about it where did we learn how to present school elementary right. school high school but all of those pr- presentations will have three major problems. Number one, all of them are mandatory. We don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, Bella, you want to get breakfast to present all day? Nobody says that, right? So that's problem number one. Number two is all of them are different. You never get to pick the topic. So it's never, hey, Bella, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about lean methodology? Are you passionate about empowering women? Why don't you give a presentation on that? No, that's not how it works. You got to talk about Shakespeare and you don't really have choice in the matter. Uh So it's not super fun. And then the third piece, which is the most important one, is that every single presentation, whether it's at school or even at work, is tied to a punishment. So it's never, hey. If you don't do a good job, Bella or Brendan, no worries. We'll still get a clap. Yeah, that doesn't work. You lose like thirty percent of your grade. So yeah, that's why the fear of communication exists. It's normal, right?
0: That, you know that's so true. And and you know thinking about that from a lean perspective, we in lean we really want people to try things, to experiment with things without that fear of. You know of punishment. You know we're not in school anymore. We're not. We're not being graded. We want to try things and learn from them, as opposed to try things and is it an A, B, C, D or, you know, you turn up for your performance evaluation and the boss goes, well, you know, when you did that presentation to the board of directors, you kind of fumbled around. You really didn't get to the point, and it was kind of terrible. So, you're probably not going to get as much of a raise this year. It's a completely um, I mean, you're right, there's always that fear of punishment, even if punishment you know, is not really going to happen, but, but the fear is there. So then then we have to get past that. What do we do?
1: Yeah, of course, don't worry, I have, I have a solution here. So, so now the question becomes, especially for your audience, is how do we apply the lean methodology, the principles that we learned about iteration and trying new ideas and not being fearful of failure, to the context of communication. We already know the methodology, but it's all about applying those same principles in the context of communication, public speaking. So what does that manual look like? So a few couple of things. The first thing, Bella, is a question that I'd love for the audience to think about that they probably haven't thought of before. And the question is simple. How would your life change if you became an exceptional communicator? How would your life change if you became an exceptional communicator. A lot of you are listening to this. You probably asked yourself a similar question in the past, which is how would, a, how would lean methodology change my day-to-day activities in organization or the projects that I take on at work? And you found those benefits to lean. You said, wow, this is like way better than like a waterfall or some other methodology where you just kind of do the whole thing. You're not iterating on new process. You're creating a lot of inefficiencies. So how do we apply that to public speaking? Well, wait a second, let's dream about the benefits. When was the last time we dream about our communication skills? We think about the vacations we want to go on, the expensive things we want to buy, but we don't spend enough time going, hey, wait a second. If I became a better communicator, wouldn't that like improve my life? Wouldn't I get the promotions that I want? The raises, the relationship with my family will improve. So I encourage people to dream. That's one piece. The other piece is realizing, and then we can get into some exercises later, Bella, is realizing the fear will never go away, including with me including with me. I'll give you the best example, right? I'm the communication expert that's speaking with you, Bella, but let's say we are at a coffee shop and we were talking and somebody calls me and let's say that person was Elon Musk. And he said, Hey, Brent, i have really enjoying your YouTube content. Can you come and coach me tomorrow? I'll pay you a million bucks. Would I shit that's my sense. pants? Absolutely. So we all have a bar where we're all going to be scared of it. So there's a way around it that we can talk about for sure.
0: OK, great. Yeah. So I'm already observing some things. And for those of you who are listening, uh, you can, I think you can hear some of this. But for those of you who are watching, even better. So, Brendan, a couple of things that you've done that I've observed already. First of all, you were using your hands in a very deliberate way. Um, and secondly... You repeat things, which is something that again, as kids, we were told not to do. So what's going on then?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Bella. So so you're right, you know, body language, right? Using your hands to create movement, especially virtually. Is, is a good way to, to showcase energy. And the other piece is repetition is the mother of invention, right? When we repeat the same thing over and over again, that's what really sticks. Especially if you're a leader within an organization, what the best CEOs on the planet do is they always repeat the same thing over and over again, even if it's through different stories and different analogies. But where I would start the conversation, Bella, with my first tactic that people could implement right away is called the random word exercise. So the random word exercise is very simple. All you have to do is you pick a random word, like phone, like copper, like headset, and you create presentations out of thin air. So now, why is that exercise so effective? The reason it's so effective, and I tell people this all the time, is if we can make sense out of nonsense, we can make sense out of anything. So if you're able to create presentations on topics you have zero expertise on, on the spot, like. On avocados or fan, when you go back into your corporate world, I mean, that place becomes a joke, literally, because you're only speaking on topics that you have expertise in or projects that you've been working on for many months and many years. And what this does is it creates a domino effect, Bella. So if you do the random word exercise 50 times, 75 times, not a day, but just in your life, it just gives you a newfound confidence that you never had before. And then you go back to work and you go, well, these people haven't done the random word exercise 75 times times and that gives you a lot of confidence to actually move the ball forward.
0: so what does that look like
1: give me a word and i'll just demonstrate uh lake lake like a water lake okay awesome so bella did not give me this word everyone she she just gave it to me on the spot now i have to create a presentation out of thin air so here we go it's sunday morning and i'm staring out at my beautiful lake it's those little moments that I enjoy early in the morning when there's nobody around and you hear the birds chirping. You can feel the grass. That's just a little bit wet, but not too wet. And the squirrels that are running across the trees. It's that beautiful moment on a lake that just makes us realize how much bigger the world really is. That lake represents so much more than just a puddle of water, Bella. It represents a moment in our life that we can stop and say, wow, the world is beautiful. So cherish those little moments because life is short. So this is an example, right? Create a random word and just do it. But the point I wanna drive, Bella, that's really important. Mm -hmm. Don't compare yourself to me. I've done the excess 3000 times. So for the first hundred times that you do this, don't keep score. The goal is not to do it well, it's just to do it. And so at the beginning you might go like uh like a lake is a object in the water but then after a hundred times you'll start to really get into the motion of doing it
0: uh, so that is again you know and I, lo- I love your point about you know let's apply what we know about lean thinking lean methodology right is it's doing it again and again to find the standard to find what works for you to get comfortable with it but and then and then you can start to see well how do I need to improve what you did there Brendan for me was that out of the Wood lake though you created a picture with an emotional connection was that
1: important it definitely is creating that emotion is key Bella, where we create visualizations, we're able to share it. But there's a couple of things I would say for people who are getting stirred in their communication journey. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time, Bella. One of those balls is eye contact. Another one is smiling. Another one is Mm -hmm. body language. Haircut might be having a nice haircut, might help as well. But the key here, and this is the challenge, is most of us try and juggle all 18 balls at once. So we try and do all of these things. Oh my God, I got my content. Then I have to remember this. So what happens? All of the balls fall to the ground. So instead, what you want to do is you pick one ball up at a time. So for one presentation... I would just focus on the random word exercise, let me use some lean language here. So let's say we apply lean to a process at a company. So at the beginning, it won't be fully optimized because we're iterating new ideas or trying to figure out ways of increasing efficiencies, but we're always focused on the same single process. Let's say a project team is focused on that project. And then over 30 days of creating new ideas, generating, making mistakes and failing, we're able to find the solution because we focused on one process or a few or a very small number of them.
0: Right, Right, yeah.
1: Right. But when we apply that to communication, the problem is there's too many processes that we're trying to optimize for. Storytelling over here, body language over there, eye contact and wrong way of approaching instead what i would encourage people to think about bella is just optimize for the random word exercise and nothing else literally nothing else like when i coach clients literally bella the first two weeks they have to do the random word exercise a 100 times there's literally nothing else it's literally just keep doing it and doing it and doing it don't even worry about the motion don't even worry about are we booking 50 minutes in the calendar tomorrow to just do it right and another another point that i want to drive here because i'm big on tough love is somebody, somebody always tells me, me, you know, oh, Brennan, what books do you recommend? And I I always reply back to that CEO or that person, how much time would you have spent reading that book this week if you had a book on communication? And they would say something like, I don't know, 30 minutes. And I say, how about we do the random word exercise 30 times instead this week? How does that sound? So I encourage people to optimize that process. And then once they realize they're really good at it, that gives momentum for all the other dominoes to
0: fall which is really ge- great advice for anything that you want to learn right you can't whatever skill it is you can't learn it all at once right but you but if you could start with something and then build on it absolutely when people uh, talk about great communicators right they do talk about content as well right one of the things that i that i see a lot of and i know that i do is this desire this this to try to cram everything in? Right, I'm going to give. I have all of this content I want to share with you. It's all really important for you to you to understand the whole story. So if you want are going to understand anything, how? But what could people practice to pull back from that?
1: yeah absolutely bill it's an excellent question is you're right especially in the corporate world right where we have so many things we want to go through so many deliverables and the steering committee is just staring at us and going okay but like what actually matters here like what's the key <laughs> takeaway so there's a couple of ways that we can do this to keep it simple and easy to implement for people who are listening to this the first one is asking a question i got from kevin Systrom, who who's the founder of instagram and the question is If you had to remove one thing from my speech, what would you remove and why? So this is a question I encourage everyone to ask with team members in the organizations, with leaders that are giving them feedback, with people that they really respect within the organizations. And what I love about this question, Bella, is it forces negative feedback, even if negative might not be the right term, it could be points of improvement, opportunities for growth, but the idea is For example, if I go up to somebody like when I started doing podcasting, I would go up to hosts all the time and say, if you had to remove one thing that I said today, what would you remove and why? And then they go, ooh, now now they're really struggling because now they have to really think about it and have to take one thing out and plug it in with something else. So this is a question that helps us remove the fluff and really focus on the most essential points. That's point number one. Point number two is really reflecting on the following question. If my audience could only remember one sentence for my entire presentations, what do I want the sentence to be and why? And that sentence will change based on the context of the project and the context of the environment the person is in. But constantly challenging yourself with that question really focuses you on the the essential elements another way of pra- phrasing that question bella is if you only had 30 seconds to talk to me about your key findings or from your key outcomes, what would you say. In those 30 seconds, this is what we call and i'm sure you've probably have covered in another episode, this is what we call executive summary slides where, where we summarize the entire presentation in one slide, especially when we're talking to C-level executives who are in like 45 meetings, you wanna have that one pager that just summarizes what's the ROI, what's the key takeaways, what are we actually trying to deliver here? And is the project green or red? Like, I just wanna know a status. And then the third piece is asking more questions. A lot of us, even at the most senior levels of an organization, we always assume that we know what the other person expects for us. We try and guess, we try and play Monopoly, we try and roll the dice. Instead of just asking them, what is what are the three most important things you want from this meeting, Bella? Okay, one, two, three. Box one, box two, box three, and it's a lot easier to optimize just by asking a few questions.
0: Which which is also a very important lean concept, right? You you want to if you're going to create something for somebody for a customer, you should know what the customer wants, right? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Right. Right. And. Uh, yeah, so that's um I just I just want to point out for the people who are listening and are not watching this on YouTube what Brendan did when he was giving three points was he was he held up one, two, three fingers, right? So okay, point one, all right, that means I could be ready for point two, right? So that's
1: Absolutely. That's that's a that's a psychology thing that I believe McKinsey invented. I'm not sure which 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 company did. It's that humans love to speak in threes. Right, like p- or in ones, like in odd numbers. People don't like twos and fours for some reason. Just the fact that I say there's two points it kind of creates this uneasiness in our body. It's something I don't really understand, but it works. But but yes, uh, three,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, three's, three's, the, three's the magic number. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Well, now I get to point seventeen, and finally.
1: And you already at this point you already lost the people in the room.
0: Yeah, yeah. Everyone's looking at their phone, and and uh, yeah, that's not. Then they're, they're not going. Any further, so I I want to go back to your first point, which is which is to deliberately seek feedback that um, that's going to improve the the so the volume of the content, how much content there is. Do you do you ever see that people are averse to getting that kind of feedback because you know we're starting with that fear, you know. I, I'm so used to the idea that someone's going to grade me on this or ding me if it's not great. Now I'm going to go to that out to them and say, "Hey, what do you think I should take out of this?" Right? And do you do you all, Do you have to work with people to get them comfortable with that?
1: Oh, absolutely, Bill. I love that question. You're absolutely right. So, so the way that we do this is, I'm a big fan of easy wins. Right. Like, as you can tell from this podcast, I'm not trying to complicate things. It's like simple, like what's the, okay, 80, 20 here. Let's just do this and get the result. So, so for this, to your point, completely agree. There's definitely a lot of pushback from a lot of the people I work with. And what I always tell them is start with the nicest person in the room. Just make a list. Of the top three to five executives that you know, because you've worked at the company a long time, let's assume that, or if you're an independent Mm -hmm. consultant, right? Just people around you, clients you really respect. And just make a list of those three to five people. We don't need to ask everyone for feedback at the beginning if we're improving that muscle, if we're at the beginning stages of that muscle. So we can start with one person. And then as we get better feedback, we make that better. It could just be one person, actually. And then as we develop and we get more open to those ideas and we realize there's safety for with some people in the organization, we won't get dinged for it, to your point, then, then we go to three, then we go to five and just keep increasing that number slowly over time but the other piece is also understanding the end game whether it's for our own careers or whether it's for businesses that we might lead which is why is this feedback today or how is this feedback today going to create the future version of who i want to be later in life and creating that going back to the question how would your life change if you're an exceptional communicator don't just write that down on a piece of paper. Reflect on that question for 10 to 15 minutes because you'll start to see yourself in that future version, and you'll realize that the feedback you're getting today is what's leading you there. And the closest example I could give from my personal experience is you know, when I was at IBM, a lot of the, the managing consultants who wanted to be partners, who wanted to be top-level executives at the company, those are necessary evils to get there so it's all about understanding what that end game for us yeah. and it doesn't need to be that either but but thinking about that end game really motivates us.
0: yeah it's it's like the exercise that you need to do in order to build the muscle that you want it might it might hurt a little bit but you, yeah you and me both but hey we're not <laughs> we're not necessarily the best examples of that right maybe you are i'm not. no we definitely not. <laughs> yeah yeah so but there's something else that I think that's happening. That as a leader, then, uh, is asking for that feedback. Whether they're asking for feedback from people who are reporting to them or people who are, um, you know, sort of higher up in the organization, they demonstrate that vulnerability that we want leaders to demonstrate. Right? We want we we want our leaders to show that they also need to grow and that they understand that they need to grow and that they're willing to take feedback. And then I think the other thing that's beautiful about that is, is if they are, you know, working on a very important presentation and and they have some folks to help them with that, when they stand up and do that presentation, I would bet those other people are sitting there saying, hey, I had a part in creating how great that presentation is. So now you're also building that team spirit. It's not just, it's not just that, you know, that, that, that Jane is up there on the stage. presenting and doing a fabulous job we all contributed to her doing a fabulous job and we're part of that success too so I mean that's a really you know there's something really powerful about doing that and not being the you know the loner who's going to do it all on their own
1: absolutely uh, bella and you said it so well because and what i what i what resonates with me from what you said is that's exactly what we do in lean right it's the yeah. culture of feedback the people not being afraid to come up with the ideas that allows us to optimize the process so everyone who's listening to this we they all know like oh yeah i'm doing this in my companies i'm doing this in my projects let's do that with communication Let's use the exact same principles, the culture, the feedback culture that we're creating, because if we're a leader, and I'm sure you say this in every episode, right, we need to be proactive about creating that culture within the people we manage, and we do that with lean, and with the projects, let's do that with presentations too, and you'll get the same results as we do from applying lean methodology in our projects.
0: And you're right. We do end up talking about that in almost every single episode. Yeah. We, you know, we talk about the importance of creating that environment where people could contribute ideas, where they can try things and and learn from what they, you know, learn from what they tried, which requires looking at and reflecting on what went well and what didn't go so well, right? That's a, that that's how it has to work or how it should work. But, we're you know, we're tied up in, in um, you know, our visions of, we have to be perfect in front of somebody else or or things are going to go wrong for me, which is, you know, and actually the opposite is true, right? Right. The more vulnerable we appear in front of other people, um, the more likely they are to share with us their vulnerabilities, which creates opportunities for coaching and improvement. 100%. Yeah. If you were put in charge of the education system, Brendan. When would you start teaching these kinds of skills? Oh, fascinating. I would say probably
1: at the age of six or seven, I would start. But I'd make so I actually spend 10% of my time coaching kids. I don't really do that for money. That's more to make myself a better facilitator. Because if you can coach kids, you can coach anybody, trust me. Uh-huh. How so, old? Youngest is five. Youngest
0: the, you, is five. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: Youngest is five. Yeah. And the oldest in the kids program is probably 17 and they're all in the same class, which is interesting because it's like a multi-age classroom. So, so what I've, I've learned from that experience, Bella, is it really helps me with simplicity, right? Simplifying knowledge. But the, the reason I, I would start at a young age is so that they never see it as, as threatening. You know, one thing I've learned from coaching kids, Bella, is that the fear of communication generally starts when somebody's around nine, 10, 11 years old, mostly in the tens because then then school starts to get really serious, 10 plus, mm-hmm. and then and then they feel that pressure and then the fear starts to ensue. But when they're six or seven years old, they don't know what a presentation is, right? So they're just like, oh, do you want me to just like speak a word? Okay, and they're just do it, right? They have no fear of failure because they think it's fun as long as you create the environment that it is fun. So that's, that's the change I would make. I'd probably do it at the age of five or six.
0: Yeah. Cause- Five-year-olds would love to stand up in front of their class and talk about their favorite stuffed animal, right, if they're not going to get graded on it. It's just, you all should see my stuffed dinosaur. This is the best stuffed dinosaur. Literally, yeah. <laughs> you have no idea what what he can do. Yeah. So so do, do, do you see that having an effect on the kids as they are in their academic environment then, at, at learning these skills? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I would say for me, the biggest value from the education system, personally, is the network that you build, right? I feel it's the only environment, whether it's in elementary, high school, or college, where you get to meet people and there's no agenda. You're kind of just having fun. And I feel communication percolates into all of those other areas because it'll be easier for you to make friends. It'll be easier to build a very strong foundation of great people and your social skills will improve. So that's where I see the value. And then the academia kind of layers on top of it because if you know everyone in the class, you can help each other and then they give you more access to the resources. They, they help you, they tutor you. And that's what really creates the results is that environment that you create.
0: And you get used to giving and receiving feedback in a non-threatening way, which is such a critical skill that I think that, you know, a lot of people don't get until maybe ever, but certainly not until they're out in the working world. Yeah. That's that's very accurate. (laughs) Yeah. Or or it's, you know, it's feedback with fear of punishment. Correct. Yeah. And the reason I asked that question is that um, I think that, you know, as we're, as with, I don't know if we're really coming out of the pandemic, but, you know, certainly we're seeing, I think, more kids with anxiety um, because of perhaps not being in school, you know, having been on Zoom or Google Meet or however they've been for a while, not having those opportunities for kid to kid interactions that they used to have. Um, And it just sounds to me, is it what you're talking about? Like you said, the fear may never go away, but But with what you teach them, Brendan, you must be giving them some skills to overcome step by step uh, the kind of anxiety that comes from having to give a presentation, having to give a talk.
1: Correct. And the way that I do it, Bella, to keep it simple, is I make them forget about it. Right. So, Uh for example, like I'll give you an easy way of thinking about this. So let's say you know, we take out the, the random word exercise, right? So that at the beginning, they might go, oh my God, I can't do this. Uh, this is too difficult. It's not what we do at work. You know, all those, all those types of objections, you know? And then I just go, okay, are you ready to do it five times? And they're like, okay. <laughs> and then they do it five, <laughs> 10 times. And they're really good after like, you get really good after 10 times. And a lot better than the first one. And I go, were you better than the first time? And then they all go, yes, because they all do. And I just ask them a follow-up question what would happen if you did it a hundred times and they go, Oh, I'd be the best. And I was like, cool, do it a hundred times this week. And then they do it. And then I just ask them one last question. What else is possible with your communication skills? And that's it. The fear just shatters or to the point that they don't care about it anymore. And that's really the the goal, right? Is how do we, instead of focus in and breathe and like acknowledge the fear is there. How about we prove that we're a lot better as communicators and the fear that it comes with. And then we'll be shattered I mean, think about me, Bella. I started coaching CEO when I was 22. Who in the world am I to do that? And I had a lot of insecurities, <laughs> Yeah. but it's one person at a time when I started with people who were 15 and then it worked me out to people my own age. And I built that competence over time, which led to the confidence later on. And that's what creates the results that we're looking for.
0: So just, just going step-by-step. Step. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot of people out there who are you know I think are sort of longing for that moment, right? You know, I, I want to be on the TED stage, or I want to be the one at the, the you know at the Lean conference who's standing up and and maybe I did a workshop, and now I want to be on the main stage and do a keynote presentation. that you know and that moment comes, right? And I think. One of the things that happens when that moment comes is exactly what you said. Now you're faced with the 18 balls, right? Okay, what am I going to wear? Including what shoes should I wear? Do I? <laughs> well, maybe that's a maybe that's a you know some of us will care about what shoes we wear, right? Right? And how are they going to mic me? Uh, should I should I be rehearsed? Should I you know should I be off the cuff? Should I be should I have slides? Should I not have slides? I mean all of these things, and then breathing, posture, all of that comes up as well. Um, so I think if I could sort of recapitulate a little bit, and you tell me if this right or wrong, so you don't want to wait until that moment comes, right, to start figuring out, well, what are my 18 balls that I want to be on top of and start practicing with those, right?
1: You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely. I, I, I don't think we've disagreed once on this podcast. <laughs> honestly, but but, but yes, I mean, you're absolutely on the money here. And and the the key here, I got this from a Navy SEALs guy. He says, we never rise to the level of the occasion. We always default to the level of our training, right? He meant it more in the context of war. I mean, in the context of everything else, <laughs> okay. Okay. right? Which is if we do the random word exercise, if we prepare for those moments before they actually come up, well, when they come up, it's not a big deal. Kind uh-huh. of like how in lean, we prepare for worst case scenarios. We have a slack time, I believe it's called. I've been in the industry for a while, right? We have those buffers. And if something ha- bad happens, what is the buffer time in communication? It's doing the harder thing. It's practicing the TED Talk before we get invited for the TikTok. If we know there's a key mo- keynote coming because we're getting that next promotion and we know all the SVPs have to be brand ambassadors of the company, et cetera, et cetera, you can see the ball rolling in that direction. Start preparing that keynote right now and start practicing it when while it's while it's fun. So that way, when you get asked to speak on it, I mean, the topic won't change that much. And then you'll just go on it and you'll be ready. And that's really what I encourage people is is really start before you're ready.
0: I think that's great. And then you'll be ready. And and if the moment comes, as as it sometimes does for people, whether somebody says, would you mind saying a few words to everybody? You won't go, oh, my goodness, what do I do? What do I say? You know?
1: And, and the reason is because you talked about avocados for 60 seconds, the random word, like, saying a few words won't, won't cut you that much trouble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a few words more than avocado, <laughs> right? <laughs> Brendan, tell us about your YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I started the YouTube channel a few years ago and, and the goal is really to help people with their communication skills and try and be an encyclopedia of, of the subject. So that's master talk in one word
0: master talk one word on youtube oh uh, yeah wait and uh, definitely take a look at it because brendan's videos are really fun um he's a he's a <laughs> he's, he's 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 it's not like uh a, a boring presentation skills class
1: imagine imagine if i was boring geez <laughs> like what am i doing coaching people on communication <laughs>
0: I don't know. I know people people have been, I know some people might eat it up, right? Well, it looks really boring, so it must be good. But that's not, that's really not what it's about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about your favorite presentation that you've done. Favorite presentation
1: that I've done? Yeah. It was actually a few months ago. Yeah, it's a bit more advanced. So for me, where I get a lot of my joy, because I'm a, I'm a nerd, uh, first and foremost, you know, I am at the end of the day. So for me, I always nerd out over really, really advanced topics. So two months ago, I, I delivered like a, a private retreat in Florida where we delivered something to a few clients and we did it around extracting somebody's communication why. So we spent three hours like taking out, you know, that question I asked earlier, like how would mm-hmm. they change if So that's like a three hour workshop just in that one question. So it was, it was really intense, really emotional. A lot of people were crying. It was, it was super fun. So that was probably my favorite presentation to date that I'm really proud of.
0: That sounds great. Uh, that was, but that was more than presentation, right? That was facilitation as well. That was that connect, that really deep connection with people. Correct. Yeah, that's really
1: my my jam. I'm a lot more of a workshop guy than a keynote guy, given my topic.
0: Yeah, yeah but but you know, but I'm thinking, and then just kind of the best facilitation class I ever took was a class on how to do stand up training. And so I thought I was learning how to stand up in front of a room and give people information. But what I was really learning, and I still haven't learned it completely, was how to help everybody in the room be engaged in the topic. And that was, for me, the best facilitation class, actually better than some other facilitation classes I took. There was something about the really having that connection, trying to have that connection with the people that mm-hmm. you that I was I, I can't remember what my my very first uh training talk was. It was probably something like avocados, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, t- I'll tell you what a funny story and everybody um so th- this actually happened when I was pregnant with my youngest son. I was about eight months pregnant and I was about the size of two houses. And of course they in this class, you got videotaped, um, and so as soon as I got home, my husband wanted to see the videotape. It's like, oh my goodness, look at you! And then when that mother, the kid was about six, we talked about this, and he said, "Mom, can I see that videotape?" And I said, "No, you would never going to see that videotape." It was, but it was, um, yeah. There's that. There's a connection right between facilitation and presentation, because which comes back to the people and really you know, who's
1: the customer. Mm, I love that. I completely agree.
0: Brendan, what would be your one piece of advice? We've talked about young people. What would be your one piece of advice to a young person starting out?
1: Yeah, I would say for me, the number one piece of advice I would give, especially for, for people of your community, is think like an executive on day one when I was uh, 19, 20 years old, I, I met a partner at McKinsey who was now a partner, one of the youngest in, in the whole world. And I asked him what, like, what's the best piece of advice he asked? Back when I wanted to be an executive anyways. Uh-huh. And, and he looked at me and he said, you know, Brendan, always assume and think like you're an executive today. What would that person do? How would that person manage client relationships? How would that person inspire their teams? And don't wait 10 years to be that person. Be that person right now. And that advice stuck with me, especially when I went on to bit, to, to do my own business, because mm-hmm. a lot of my clients are double my age. So how do I show up with the maturity of someone who's 100 years old? How do I show up with the communication skills of someone that's 100 years old, who a 100 years of experience? And that always stuck with me. So for your future goals, start picturing the person you want to be even if you don't you're not entirely sure that person is just some idea even 50 percent is good enough and just ask yourself what would that person do and how can i be like that person today rather than in 10 years
0: that is great advice brendan thanks so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean and everybody check out brendan's youtube channel master talk thanks bella this is Bella Engelberg, and I'd like to thank Brendan Kumarasamy for being my guest here at The Ages of Lean. What are you doing to improve your presentation skills? Find Brendan at rockstarcommunicator.com or check him out on YouTube. You can also find him on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com Let's start a conversation comment or wherever you watch or listen and please 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 tell your friends about the edges of lean join me in exploring more of the edges of lean there's a lot to learn and check out my friends in the lean communicators community at leancommunicators.com. you'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week the edges of lean is written and produced by bella engelbach with support from podcast inc this is a lean for humans production